are living neath the great big dipper. We are washed by the very same rain. We are swimming in the stream together, some in power and some in pain. We can worship this ground we walk on, cherishing the beings that we live beside. Loving spirits will live forever. We're all swimming to the other side. I am alone. I am searching, hungering for answers in my time. I am balanced at the brink of wisdom. I'm impatient to receive a sign. I move forward with my senses open. Imperfection can be my crime. In humility, I will listen. We're all swimming to the other side. We are living in the great big dipper. We are washed by the very same rain. We are swimming in the stream together. Some in power and some in pain. We can worship this ground we walk on, cherishing the beings that live beside. Loving spirits will live forever. We're all swimming to the other side. On this journey through thoughts and feelings, finding intuition, my head, my heart. I am gathering the tools together. I'm preparing to do my part. All of those who've come before me, band together and be my guide. Loving lessons that I will follow We're all swimming to the other side We are living beneath the great big dipper We are washed by the very same rain We are swimming in the stream together Some in power and some in vain We can worship this ground we walk on Cherishing the beings that we live beside Loving spirits will live forever. We're all swimming to the other side. Loving 
Yeah. 
Good morning. My name is Kristen Parrish and my pronouns are she, her, and hers. I am a member of your board of trustees and it is my pleasure to welcome you to worship at the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Columbia. As we begin, we honor the Piscataway people and their ancestors. It is upon their land that we in Columbia 
reside. We are served by the Reverend Paige Getty, minister, as well as a talented and dedicated team of religious educators, musicians, and other professional staff. I want to express my gratitude to all within our community who are striving to keep us connected and to provide meaningful worship during services during this unusual and trying time. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, whoever you love, and whatever your faith tradition, you are welcome here. We particularly welcome any guests who are watching this service. We hope that you will join us in the future when we return to worship at the Owen Brown Interfaith Center so that we will have the chance to meet and welcome you in person. And just a couple of announcements. First, we hope to see you next Sunday at 4 p.m. for our monthly Black Lives Matter vigil in Columbia. Join us to give public witness to the problem of anti-Black racism in our neighborhood, nation, and world. Please bring your own signs if you have them. And second, fight food insecurity in Howard County by donating to our Little Free Pantry, located just outside the Owen Brown Interfaith Center. The pantry is open all day and night and is stocked multiple times a day by our volunteers. See the link in the chat for information on how you can donate. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kristen. Good morning, UUCC and friends and guests. My name is Paige Getty. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And it's my great pleasure to welcome you all this morning. If you're a newcomer among us, please be sure to fill out the visitor form so we have information to stay in touch with you because we would indeed like to know you better and allow give you ways to know us better as well. If you'd like to follow along in a traditional order of service that is available to download from our website on the worship pages for now or for later. And we will be honoring uh, personal joys and sorrows later in the service. So if you have something you'd like to share, please email that to joysandsorrows at uucolumbia.net. Many thanks to Liam and Graham and Tim and all the tech team and virtual ushers and staff who are working behind the scenes this morning as they do every Sunday. Thank you, Jeremy, for the live music and the playlists. Thank you, Robin, for the reflection you're going to share. Kristen, for the welcome and the poetry reading. And to the young adult group who will be readers later in the service as well. Today is July 4th, United States Independence Day, commemorating the colony's declaration of independence from Britain. Today, there will be big festive gatherings, our dogs will be tormented by the noise of fireworks and the patriotic displays of flags and music will be ubiquitous. And like so many of our American traditions, it's rife and problematic as a celebration that romanticizes our nation's history and avoids, minimizes, or denies its legacy of slavery and racism and patriarchy, which we're still living with today. Now, I know I am fortunate to be an American, a white American born into a family that had resources and opportunities that are unavailable to many people in the world and that are actively denied to many other Americans. I experience the kind of first personal freedom that is idolized on holidays like today, 
So yes, I am fortunate and glad to be an American and I celebrate that. But with the celebration comes a sense of responsibility and accountability. I must also confront the greater realities of what it means to be an American who is not white, who does not have a wealth of resources at their disposal, who wonders what this freedom, this American dream is really all about. So today in this service, we honor the value not of independence and individualism, but of interdependence. We celebrate the seventh principle of Unitarian Universalism, affirming and promoting respect for the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. In that spirit, let us now worship together. For our chalice lighting today, I will be reading a poem named Web by Denise Levertov. Intricate and untraceable, weaving and interweaving, dark strand with light. Designed beyond all spiderly contrivance to link, not to entrap. Elation, grief, joy, contrition, intertwined, shaking, changing, forever forming, transforming, all praise, all praise to the great web. Please join me in singing hymn 134, Our World is One World. Thank you, Jeremy. Now will you all join in speaking together our UUCC Congregational Covenant 
as we reinforce and recommit to these promises to and with one another. Strengthened by our common humanity and inspired by our seven principles, we promise to be a safe and welcoming community, to nurture each other's hearts and spirits, to delight in the beauty of our diversity, to struggle together on our spiritual journeys, and to challenge each other to live our values. Thus, we pledge our time and vigor to the continuing celebration of spirit, of the world, and of humankind. And now Liam is going to allow you to unmute yourselves and greet one another for a moment. Good morning, everybody. It's great to see all your faces. Good morning, Hello. everyone. Good morning, Good morning, everyone. My name is Robin Slaw, and I'm your director of religious education. I use the pronoun she and her, and I'm so pleased to be here with you this morning. For the last week, I have been co-directing a week-long virtual wizarding camp. Nine of our children from UUCC attended, five to 11 years old, along with 30 other children all up and down the entire East Coast. And it was magical. All right, maybe you would expect a wizarding camp to be magical, I know, but the magic went far beyond what I hoped. Each day, we looked at a different jagged rock. The jagged rocks are based upon the five smooth stones that were identified by theologian James Luther Adams as a way to describe our Unitarian Universalist faith tradition. Adams believed that liberal religion, just like the five smooth stones that Goliath used to defeat the giant, could have a powerful impact on the world if we have the right tools. And then a group of people, including Reverend Nancy Bowen and Reverend Mike Moran, developed the five jagged rocks as a way to recognize that Unitarian Universalism isn't smooth around the edges that we aren't perfect theologically or otherwise. On the first day of wizard camp, Monday, we looked at the jagged rock of unity. Our young wizards talked about what makes community, how something that affects one of us affects all of us, even if we don't see it or realize it. We asked them to consider what builds unity what destroys unity, and why unity is important, and what happens when unity breaks down. These are deep topics, right? On Tuesday, we learned about the jagged rock of worth. Our wizards discussed how people are sacred and worthy innately, not based on the color of their skin or who they love or how they move. They are sacred 
just for being alive. We ask them to think about how they interact with other people, their families, their friends, and how they like to be treated by others. Wednesday was the jagged rock of possibility. That rock tells us that truth continues to be revealed, that we are open to growing and becoming more just, more loving, more inclusive. And that we choose to be in covenant together, which means we choose to live with each other through promises that we make to each other. And those promises can change as we spend more time together or as situations change. We ask them about changes in their own lives and how they might look for changes in the future. They learned about when you know better, do better. Thursday's jagged rock was the rock of action. We talked about salvation in this lifetime, not waiting for heaven or hell after we die, and that we need to build Paris, paradise now. We asked what we collectively need to do to make the world better. And we heard such amazing ideas from our children who absolutely know what types of actions need to happen to build a better world. And on the last day, Friday, we introduced the jagged rock of courageous love with emphasis on the courageous part. We learned what it might mean to side with love. We discussed what we could do to build beloved community. We asked them to step up to be an upstander, not a bystander. And then we help them practice what to do when they saw the opposite of love in the world. In this week of working with children to learn about and envision a future of interdependence, it was really healing and it was energizing. Our children understand interdependence on such a deep level. I became excited about the future. I always become excited about the future when I hear about their dreams for a better world. So I have a challenge for all of you who did not attend the Wizarding Arts Camp. I'd like you to think about your role, your own role personally in building a better world. Our theology calls us to action and our principles call us to build beloved community. So what is your role in building unity among us here at UUCC and in the larger world? And what do you do to recognize worth in everyone, every single person? What are the possibilities we haven't even yet imagined? And what actions will you commit to taking to build a better world? And where will you show courageous love in order to build beloved community? Thanks. Thank you, Robin. One of the many ways that we know we can have a positive impact for good in the world is by combining our resources, our time, our talent, and our financial gifts so that they can have an even greater impact. In that spirit, we now pause to accept your free offering of gifts as Jeremy offers us his gift of music. Thank you.
Thank you so much for that, Jeremy. We are now going to be offering a poem in multiple voices, and I very much thank Valerie and the young adult group who are going to be providing most of those voices, alternating with me. The poem is written by Richard Blanco, and it is titled Declaration of Interdependence. And before I start, I do want to be sure I can see there they are. Hello, everybody. All right. Um, I didn't want to start if you weren't ready yet. Declaration of Interdependence by Richard Blanco. Such has been the patient sufferance. Where a mother's, where a mother's bread, instant potatoes, milk at a checkout line, her three children pleading for bubblegum and their father, where the three minutes she steals to page a tabloid, needing to believe even stars' lives are as joyful and bruised. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury. For her second job, serving an executive in a sharp gray suit, absorbed in his fortune magazine at a sidewalk cafe, where the shadow of skyscrapers, like giant chess pieces, in the game he bet his family on, we're the lost. We're a father who can't mine a life anymore in a town where too much but too little has happened for too long. A history of repeated injuries and usurpations. Where the grit of his main streets blacked out windows and spray painted truths. Or a street lined with royal palms home to a Peace Corps couple who now collect art and winter in Aruba, or the dinner party talk of wines and picket signs once wielded, retirement accounts and draft cards once burned. We're there knowing it's time to do more than read the New York Times, buy fair trade coffee, and grass-fed beef. In every stage of oppressions, we have petitioned for redress. We're the canned corn of a farmer who plows into his couch as worn as his back by the end of the day. We're watching news having everything, nothing to do with the field's dust in his eyes or his son nested in the ache of his arms. We're his son and a black son who drove too fast or too slow, talked too much or too little, moved too quickly, but not quick enough for a bullet. We're our dead, our blood-stained blackboards Dance floors, We mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. We are the living who lights vigil candles and the cop who didn't shoot. We are the inmate with his volunteer teacher diagramming sentences, the Buddhist alongside the stockbroker serving soup at a shelter. We are the grandfather taking a selfie with his grandson and his husband, the widow's 50 cents in the collection plate, and the golfer's $10,000 pledge for a cure. We hold these truths to be self-evident. We're them, they're you, you, me, we're us, a handshake, a smile, good morning on the bus, a door held open, a seat we give up on the subway, we tend restrooms or sell art, make hubius rancheros or hubius rancheros or herb salmon, run for mayor or restock shelves, work 
a backhoe, or write poems. We're a poem in progress. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to fulfill the promise of being one people, necessary to abolish any government that becomes destructive of these ends, necessary to dissolve the political bands that keep us from speaking to each other, necessary to avow our interdependence, to look straight into each other's eyes the way we behold the moon and declare to one another, I see you, I see you, I see you. Thank you. We hold these truths to be self-evident. We're them, they're you, you're me, we're us. We hold these truths to be self-evident. But do we? We're them. They're you, you're me, we're us. More often it feels like I'm me, this is mine, mind your own business, leave me alone, this is my right, I will do whatever I want. And yet, as people of faith, we affirm and promote respect for the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. Even in our celebration of these principles that are at the core of the covenant among Unitarian Universalist congregations, we often shorthand that seventh one as the environmental one, the one that tells us we must care for the earth and her creatures. Far less frequently do we actively consider that that interdependent web includes not just humanity as a collective in its relationship with the earth and the rest of life, and not just each of us individual humans connected to the earth through our individual actions, but also all us humans connected to each other. None of us lives purely independently, free of connections or consequences or the messy reality of being in relationship with other human beings. What touches one affects us all, as we sang in that hymn earlier. It's a version of the butterfly effect, that notion that small, seemingly trivial events may ultimately result in something with much larger consequences. They have nonlinear impacts on very complex systems. Many of us likely know an overly simplistic and misleading explanation of the butterfly effect. One that says something like, when a butterfly flaps its wings in India, that tiny change in air pressure could eventually cause a tornado in Iowa. But that's not quite right. It suggests something linear with a clear and direct cause and effect relationship, which isn't what the originator of the scientific theory intended at all. He was trying to say that every little factor makes a difference and that over time, the collective impact, even of very small things, not to mention very large things, can have large consequences. Scientifically, the idea of the butterfly effect originated as an explanation for negative impacts. 
But just as we must always consider the potential negative effects of our actions, even when causation isn't direct or obvious or linear, the converse is true too. Our actions can have positive, constructive healing effects, even if that effect isn't direct or immediate or obvious. What touches one affects us all. The tension between independence and interdependence, between the rights of the individual and the good of the collective, between my comfort and your well-being has been vividly on display in this past year. I don't know how to explain to you why you should care about other people. If you're on social media, you've probably seen those words in a meme or displayed on a marquee or in needlepoint or any number of other places, and you likely have seen them credited to Dr. Anthony Fauci. Dr. Fauci did not say those words. In a commencement speech last May, he did say, now is the time, if ever there was one, for us to care selflessly about one another. But that other quote, the one that has spread so virally, is several years old. In January of 2017, as she watched the president-elect demand the U.S. Senate repeal the Affordable Care Act, threatening the insurance coverage of millions of Americans, Lauren Morrill, an author of young adult novels, tweeted, My biggest problem in these ACA debates, I don't know how to explain to you why you should care about other people. And through the magic and horror of social media, and in response to the ridiculous behaviors and arguments that erupted last year over mask mandates and other pandemic protocols, moral sentiments again gained traction, though miscredited to Dr. Fauci. I don't know how to explain to you why you should care about other people. It's not a new challenge. In fact, it's one that our universalist forebears, religious leaders, have been articulating and teaching for ages. And as with so many important spiritual teachings, if we all just accepted it and applied it effectively to our living, we wouldn't need to talk about it anymore. But let's go back to 1946, when universalist theologian and minister Dr. Clinton Lee Scott said this in a radio address. A new world demands a faith in the universals. It cannot be built on the partialisms of yesterday with their emphasis on divisions and isolations. These are of a past that has failed us. Modern methods of transportation and of communication bring us face to face with one another in such an interrelatedness and with such an interdependence that we must learn to live together or all be destroyed. Many of us must have the all-inclusive religion of universalism or be without a church, he said. For us, it is a philosophy for living creatively in this one world. It is the larger faith for our bewildering present and for a future of promise. In a more recent discussion, just last week, of universalism and its inherent understanding of interdependence, 
One minister succinctly declared, none are saved until all are saved. Nathan Ryan gets credit for that one. It's a value, a principle that lies at the heart of our Unitarian Universalist faith. We are individuals with freedom of choice, but we accept that those choices have consequences, that our choices affect more than ourselves alone. And we accept that in community, what I alone want or need or prefer is never itself more important than what is better for the many. And that when anyone is systematically excluded or denied or impeded, we must make change. We accept the truth of the butterfly effect, that every factor makes a difference, that over time, the collective impact of things, large things like inequitable laws and systemic discrimination, and small things like chipping away at those unjust structures and learning about our own individual implicit biases. All of those things can have large consequences. Today is July 4th, Independence Day, a day on which we celebrate our freedom as Americans. And yet we know that not all Americans are truly free nor ever have been. To this day, freedom is inequitably experienced among us. A year ago in the summer of 2020, the US commemorated Independence Day amid nationwide protests for racial justice and systemic reforms in the wake of George Floyd's death. In that context, and inspired by Jennifer Crandall's documentary project, Whitman, Alabama, NPR producers asked five young descendants of Frederick Douglass to read and respond to excerpts of his famous speech titled, What to the Slave is the Fourth of July? A powerful historical text that reminds us of the ongoing work of liberation. Right now, we're going to view and hear that recording those descendants reading excerpts from Frederick Douglass's speech. All of us are somewhere in this speech as its subjects, its objects, its descendants, its observers, its transformers, its legacy. I invite you to consider as you listen, where are you in this interconnected web? Do I look there or yeah. there? Or... Okay. Okay. My name is Alexa Ann Watson, and I am the great, great, great granddaughter of Frederick. Frederick Douglass is my great, 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 great granddaughter of Frederick Douglass. I am the great, 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 great grandchild. I've been counting on my fingers since yeah. I was like five. This is the Fourth of July is the birthday of your national independence and of your political freedom. Fellow citizens, I shall not presume to dwell at length on the associations that cluster about this day. 
The simple story of it is that 76 years ago, the people of this country were British subjects. Oppression makes a wise man mad. Your fathers were wise men, and if they did not go mad, they became restive under this treatment. With brave men, there's always a remedy for oppression. They succeeded, and today you reap the fruits of their success. The freedom gained is yours, and you, therefore, may properly celebrate this anniversary. Fellow citizens, pardon me. Allow me to ask why am I called upon to speak here today? What have I, or those I represent to do, with your national independence? Are the great principles of political freedom and of natural justice embodied in that Declaration of Independence extended to us? I am not included within the pale of this glorious anniversary. Your high independence only reveals the immeasurable distance between us. The blessings in which you this day rejoice are not enjoyed in common. The rich inheritance of justice, liberty, prosperity, and independence bequeathed by your fathers is shared by you, not by me. The sunlight that brought life and healing to you has brought stripes and death to me. This 4th of July is yours, not mine. You may rejoice, I must mourn. Fellow citizens, above your national tumultuous joy, I hear the mournful wail of millions. At a time like this, scorching irony, not convincing argument is needed. Oh, had I the ability and could reach the nation's ear, I would today pour out a fiery stream of biting ridicule, blasting reproach, withering sarcasm, and stern rebuke. For it is not light that is needed, but fire. It is not the gentle shower, but thunder. We need the storm, the whirlwind, and the earthquake. The feeling of the nation must be quickened. The conscience of the nation must be roused. The propriety of the nation must be startled. The hypocrisy of the nation must be exposed. And its crimes against God and man must be proclaimed and denounced. What to the American slave is your 4th of July? I answer, a day that reveals to him more than all other days in the year the gross injustice and cruelty to which he is the constant victim. To him, your celebration is a sham. Your boasted liberty and unholy license. Your national greatness, swelling vanity. Your sounds of rejoicing are empty and heartless. Your denunciations of tyrants, brass-fronted impudence. Your shouts of liberty and equality. Hollow mockery. Your prayers and hymns, your sermons and thanksgivings. With all your religious parade and solemnity are to him mere bombast, fraud, deception, impiety, and hypocrisy. There is not a nation on the earth guilty of practices more shocking and bloody than are the people of these United States at this very hour. Allow me to say in conclusion, notwithstanding the dark picture I have this day presented of the state of the nation, I do not despair of this country. Frederick Douglass's speech did not end with that line. It went on for another several minutes, but here's what he said next. 
Allow me to say in conclusion, notwithstanding the dark picture I have this day presented of the state of the nation, I do not despair of this country. There are forces in operation which must inevitably work the downfall of slavery. The arm of the Lord is not shortened, and the doom of slavery is certain. I, therefore, leave off where I began with hope. Douglas believed then, and I assert that we must believe now, despite the devastating ongoing realities of enslavement, that there is hope, that the arm of the Lord is not shortened, that the arc of the moral universe is long, but that it bends toward justice. I must believe in that possibility and that hope, for despair will serve only to make us complacent, withdrawn and disconnected, and that is unacceptable. Instead of despair, we people of faith choose hope. We choose to respect the interdependent web of existence of which we are a part. We choose to act in service, not of I, but of we. So may it be. And now let us sing, we would be one. Thank you, Jeremy. We're now going to take a few moments to hear and to honor the personal joys and sorrows that have been shared by members of our community.
If you have pebbles and water and want to join in the embodied part of this ritual, I invite you to do so. We place one pebble in a communal bowl of water to honor the ways that each individual life ripples out and touches all of us in our community. And finally, for all of those things that you are holding, whatever they might be, this is for you. Know that you too have our love. Will you join me now for a moment of prayer and reflection? We pause with gratitude, with humility, with awe, for all that is this great human life that we experience, the connections, the interconnections, the love, even the love that brings about grief. May those in our community who are fearful, who are struggling, who are ailing, know that we hold their pain with them. 
May those who are celebrating great accomplishments and connections and beautiful lives lived also know that we hold that joy and that celebration. And as our nation celebrates its independence, may we humbly and soberly recognize all the responsibility we carry for bringing that freedom to life and for respecting our interdependence. Let us now share a few moments of stillness and quiet that we might honor all the prayers within us and among us. Amen. Blessed be. So UUCC, as you go on with the rest of your day, 
and with your summer, during which you and I will be seeing a little less of each other, may our seventh UU principle be a guide. We affirm and promote respect for the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. Affirm, promote, respect, love, live. In that spirit, this morning I offer as closing words an excerpt from the introductory essay in John Green's newly published collection, The Anthropocene Reviewed, which has brought me much delight as I've been listening to it the past couple weeks. Green writes, at the end of his life, the great picture book author and illustrator Maurice Sendak said on the NPR show Fresh Air, I cry a lot because I miss people. I cry a lot because they die and I can't stop them. They leave me and I love them more. He said, I'm finding out as I'm aging that I'm in love with the world. Green goes on to say, it has taken me all my life up to now to fall in love with the world, but I've started to feel it the last couple of years. To fall in love with the world isn't to ignore or overlook suffering, both human and otherwise. When my breastbone starts to hurt and my throat tightens and tears well in my eyes, I want to look away from feeling. I want to deflect with irony or anything else that will keep me from feeling directly. We all know how loving ends, but I want to fall in love with the world anyway to let it crack me open. I want to feel what there is to feel while I am here. Be well, UUCC. I love you. May we all be in love with the world. Amen. Serpent hands to us and 